All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest. We have the man who is known for, man, he is known for uh, a plethora of classics, memorable, memorable lines, some of the greatest in hip hop today. He is corrupt young Gotti, Dog Pound Gangsta, DPG. He's oh, yeah. By way of West Philly. Is it, no, it's not West Philly. You're Darby. So you're uh, Darby Township. Darby Township. Yeah, the Sharon Hill. You know, back and forth, Sharon Hill, 2-5, Darby Township in Germantown. Okay, G-Town. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. You To me, you've always been a... I don't even know if this is a thing, but tell me if you understand what I'm saying. You, you're like an East Coast lyricist with a West Coast mentality. You know what I'm saying? Like, because the way you came up, you grew up in Philly like me. You know, I'm sure you idolize guys like Rakim and KRS and, and, and Kane. And it comes out in your rhymes, you know, in your delivery, in your cadence, and in, in just your vocabulary. Everything seems like an East Coast lyricist with that West Coast mentality. You, you get what I'm saying? I couldn't have said it better. Mm. Damn. Oh, yeah. I always like to say Philly, Philly taught him how to be the MC, but I think Cali taught him how to, like, you know, be a part of that, you know, that game that they run. I couldn't have said that one better either. <laughs> it's, all, it's like y'all uh, y'all read my story or something. We're, we're <laughs> off to a good start. We, we've been known to be on point with some of this stuff. Yeah, you know, Philly's where I got my skills. And the West Coast is what, you know, taught me my artistry. Taught me the game itself. Snoopy, Lace My Chucks, taught me how to write songs and make hits. Because I wanted to kill all MCs at all times. No matter how nice the beat was, I just wanted to murder MCs. The dog taught me how to slow it down and concentrate. You know, Philly gave me my skill. Los Angeles made me a man. Yeah, buddy. You know what? That's a great point you just brought up, Corrupt, because we were talking on the last episode um, about how West Coast songs, they were good songs. And they had, you know, they, they knew how to make a hook. They know how to make you party and have a good time. The right. East Coast songs are more about rhyming and getting after somebody and lyricism. They're two different kind of two different kind of art forms there. And uh, one thing that you can bring to the table is kind of meshing the two together. Um, and that that's that's gold right there. That's God. God is good. He gave me the opportunity to experience both worlds. You know, being on the East, it was all about, you know, battling. It's all about your skill. And on the West Coast, you know, it was more about subject matter, uh, like you said, they put the hooks in there properly. They add melodies. Snoop taught me how to put melody in with it and mix it all up like a gumba. So, you know, yeah, definitely. It's, it's the best of both worlds. I'm a living witness to that. I, I said it before. I, the East Coast makes great music, but it's borderline depressing compared to the west coast <laughs> west coast like i said they make music for the cars for the barbecues east coast makes music for the walkman and, and the trains you know six in the morning is a lot different than psk uh even though they are the same type of song it's just because it's made with a little different love out in, in the west coast than it is in the east coast you know well ice t told me the first gangster rapper he ever heard Bus school we did. Of course. And that's how, that's where he came up at six in the morning. Yup. Philadelphia! 
So before we head out west, let me just say congrats because you had a street named after you um, in, in Darby Township, where your parents uh, are from and where where that's you cool. resided many, many, many years. So that's pretty cool because, first of all, not many people get a fucking street named after them, let alone a hip hop artist or living. Most have to die in order to get that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, for real. It took like 50,000 petitions to get MF Doom a street. And here you are, a living legend. You get a street named after you. And uh, that's got to be really, really crazy. Because can you imagine that, you know, when you first came into this game, that you would eventually have a street named after you? Corrupt Never. way. Never. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, God is good, man. You know, he, uh, he gave me the talent and he put me in the right places. Um, but yeah, that was mind blowing. You know, I can, I would have never thought such a thing coming from Darby Township. You know, I I was born in North Philly. My parents are from North Philly. You know what I'm saying? My pop grew up off of York street. You know what I mean? And my mama, uh, with my grandma, Evelyn. So, you know, my father moved to Darby Township because it was a suburb back then. We bought the second house on the hill. Um, and so, you know, I was basically raised out there in Darby Township and uh, going back and forth between Sharon Hill and Germantown, go see my Aunt Marie and my cousin Fred, who's the reason why I rapped in the first place, Sharon. Back then, he was called Skippy G. And he'd go out there on... Uh, uh, right there on the corner and they had him battles and I'd be right there just watching from afar, but he was so fly and his, his rhymes. And that's what got me started rapping and Snoopy critiqued me. So, you know, yeah, best of, best of both worlds, you know, that's a blessing. And to have that street right there just shows you, and it shows the youth as well, you know, anything you work hard at, you can accomplish, you make these goals, you'll accomplish it. You know, all I wanted to do was be known as one of the great MCs. And Snoopy, Suge, Dr. Dre taught me the business mm -hmm. and how to make the music. So, you know, I'm very appreciative of uh, Sharon Hill showing me that love. Two, five, right? <laughs> now, real quick, now, before we kind of head over to the, to the West Coast of things, I, I, look, I think most of our listeners see you as DPG through and through, but... Given that you're an MC first from Philly, like we're talking about, I think most people would be surprised if you had a little bit of East Coast bias in who you revere as kind of your top choice MC. Do you have a top five list? No way. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard too to do. It's too many, too many. How about one? How about just a few Rock of Kim. your influences? Rock Kim. Rock Kim. Mm. Rock Kim. That's what I was God saying. God MC. He is the one. You understand me? That's no doubt. To go to two, three, and four, and five, I can't do that. <laughs> is I there mean, a even the, even the new generation? And when I say new, I ain't talking about the youngsters nowadays. I'm talking about my generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The originals without the my generation and without the new generation is greats in all of those generations. You know. And it was great before those generations because, you know, you got Spoonie G. You know what I'm saying? Mike Strum. You know, you got those greats. You know what I'm saying? From the south to the west. 
to the east, to the north. Come on, Spoonie G, and go off, then go off. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. A freak, freak, y'all. Uh, to the beat, y'all. It's so unique, y'all. Run DMC. Run was a DJ. And he was spilt. And I think he was one of the original ones that, well, Big Bang Hank was the original who he didn't write his rap. Somebody wrote him mm. for him. Cass, right? Because, uh, yep, Cass, Casanova. That's to Big Bang Hank. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the imp to pimp. Mm-hmm. The ladies fight for my deed like, ugh, come on, man. You know, it's like, but that was all, that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was Casanova's rhyme book. And he even, it was. he said it to a T, he even spelt his name, C-A-S. He spelled yeah. Casanova because that was his rhyme book. <laughs> That's fucked up. That was lovely because Casanova gave it to him. He didn't yeah. steal it. I think if I'm not mistaken, the story I heard, I heard Big Bang Hank asked for his rhyme book. Like, can I, I want to use your rhyme book. I'm going to go to the studio and I'm going to make a record. Casanova gave it to him. Like, sure, man, go for it. And uh, he gave it to him. Flying through the air in pantyhose. He might even be sexy. Because, you know, back in the days, they told stories. You know what I'm saying? You know, New York is the mecca. And if you would listen to that shit, they told stories originally. The message. You know what I'm saying? These are the breaks. You know what I'm saying? They was all stories. That's where it started from, man. Hip-hop was storytelling and rocking the crowd, rocking the party. And you'll see a lot of that in the West Coast, rocking the party and telling stories. You know what I'm saying? And back in those days, we used to mimic MCs. We would mimic their songs because in Philly, we was, you know, Rebel Without a Pause came out and everybody had their own Rebel Without a Pause rap. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was the fun of it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man, the Mecca, man. All I got to say is who who want to see Jada? <laughs> oh, after That's last all week. I got to say. Man, who the fuck want to see The Kiss? After last who week, get nobody. Kissed? night man <laughs> who wants to see a kiss man yesterday's price is not today's price before we get to current times let's do this let because there's a lot to cover and you have a very very long list of uh records in your catalog and you have longevity that a lot of people just simply don't have it started 1819, give or take, around like say 91, 92 with you, right? You you linked up with Daz and Snoop. Yeah. Does that sound about yeah. right? 92? 90, uh because 93. 91. 91. Okay, so 91. And and you were still young. You're 18, 19, if I if I recall. I was uh 18 years old. 18 years old. So yeah. For, a lot of the listeners that do not know, or maybe some that forgot, just kind of give us a quick, like, history. How you linked up with Snoop and Daz, and obviously we know what happened after that because the chronic well, Snoopy, came out. Yeah, Snoopy's the key for all of us. Yep. You know, Warren G is the key for Snoop. Warren G took Snoop to Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre grabbed up Snoop, and then Snoop brought all of us to the table. He brought Corrupt, brought RBX. He brought Daz. Flew Daz in from Oklahoma. He was living in Oklahoma at the time. Oh, he didn't know how to work a beat machine. Damn. And he got, he brought Warren, you know, Warren G brought him 
and then Snoop brought Nate Dogg. You know what I'm saying? Snoop, he brought us all, guys. And he was the main ideas for the chronic, him and Dr. Dre and Warren G. And Daz, believe it or not. You know, and uh, like that's Daz on Ghetto Boy, little Ghetto Boy. You know, Snoopy taught Daz how to write robbers. Me and Snoop laced his pin game. Was this before yeah. or after uh, the infamous uh, battle that you had at the Roxy with them? The battle was how I met Snoop. That's how you met. That's how I met him. And when we finished the battle, we ended as friends. And he said, he's the one that said it. Whoever make it first, come back and get the other one. He said that in the battle. Hmm. Because we was just going back and forth, killing it. And then Dog just came out the blue like, like you tight, I'm tight. Boot Bop and just put it in the rhyme and say, whoever make it first need to come and get Boot Bop the bit. I said, ugh. <laughs> I just bounced with him. Beep Bop, boop, boop. And then the police broke it up, said we had to go. So it was Long Beach there supporting Domino at the Roxy. He was in the contest. And I won the contest before. So I was there as a special guest, you know, last Boot Bop winner. Yeah. And uh, I was there, South Central, Los Angeles. We was in there. Long Beach was there. And, uh, you know, Snoop ended it like that. And then he made it with Dr. Dre and he kept his word. And he found corrupt hmm. and said, come on, little nigga. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> what? So 92 is when the chronic <laughs> dropped. And look, people were still kind of getting familiar with who Snoop was. But 93 is really what set it off. So Doggy Style came out, which I was, uh, we said uh, earlier in the show that that's, one of the most iconic records of all time so that's 93 shortly after you have you and daz putting out some singles off soundtracks like poetic justice above the rim um and then a year later i think you did what would you do which was off the murder was the case oh, man you 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 y'all got the dpg encyclopedia <laughs> oh i know everything and a lot of people don't a lot of people don't bring up poetic justice that was the first song we did together have you ever heard of a slaughter? I ought to start dipping. Sipping on that ST gets me to tripping. I don't slip, I bangs with that mad ass door pound gang. It's a DPG thing. Corrupt from the SC. You wanna test me? Let's see if you'll survive 45 times. Like a hollow point headed for your dome. Take a couple steps, turn around in this zone. Couldn't withstand the murderous mental. I subdue and then take two to your temple. When I cause Holocaust from what's written, niggas collapsing when the straps is spitting. Yeah, yeah, we made the group the dog pound me. Daz made that up, came up with that dog stamping. Said it was a great idea, let's go. And the first dog pound song we ever did as the dog pound was Niggas Don't Give a Fuck. And it was Snoop's record. He it was his song. Mm -hmm. So we got a chance to get our own writing in last verse, but the first two verses, Snoop wrote crazy right. Good job, gentlemen. Oh man, come on. I am a walking <laughs> Wikipedia. Here's I what I see. Here's what I want to know, though. I never understood, and I'm sure there's a valid reason, why you were not on um, Big Pimpin'. Because I was in Philly. You were in Philly at the time. And that this? was all fucked up because these records, right? Because I was always on war records, you know what I'm saying? Lyrical gangbang, stranded on death row. Yeah. I just made bitches ain't shit, you know what I'm saying? Off the chronic. 
it was the last record we did. It was actually the G Thing remix. Dr. Dre told me you can strip down a, a song and make a whole new song off of it. Just keep the drums and this part and that part and make a whole new song. Because that's what bitches ain't shit is. It's the remix to G Thing. You just stripped it down to just that piece mm, to hear. That's right. Yeah. And then I came up with the hook. He taught me, he taught me about rhymes. He was like, I, my whole verse started off, bitches ain't shit but hoes. That was the beginning of my rap. Dr. Dre said, okay, just that part. Say that again. Go lay that. That's the hook. Mm. That's why my verse seems like it's only eight bars, but that was 16 because it's the hook and the verse. But Dr. Dre made my beginning part of my verse. He made it a hook. That's what so, makes him a genius. He could recognize that stuff immediately. Man, genius, man. I just, I said, wow, you know, never count out the doctor, like detox. Don't count it out. Dr. Dre got a whole plethora of music uh, for detox. He's just a he's a stickler. You know what I'm saying? He's a perfectionist. So, but yeah, man, you know, so when every time uh, I leave to go to Philly, they make a classic while I'm gone. Mm. They made big pimping. Then they made 21 Jump Street. And I know that's a Long Beach song, but still, it's like, damn, ain't no telling if I was there because we was all random. You know, Dog might have been like, corrupt. Do this little piece right here. You know what I'm saying? It's a Long Beach song, but just do this little piece right here. I like what you said. That's how you made it. You just be right there. And you write whether you're going to be on the song or not. And you spit your shit, and the motherfucker be like, ooh, that's tight. Go on and lay that real quick. Okay, cool. Bye. And you make the song, so I was always gone. That's fucked up. Because mm. Big Pimpin' was on slap. Mm, yeah, that's a classic, man. You know, you, you mentioned the bitches. Like, Too Short might be known for being the guy to, like, bring bitches in. But you are known for having the most memorable verses about bitches. And I, I think it's safe to say you're coming out party. Where people are like, okay, this is the next guy that's about to get on was Ain't No Fun. That had to be it for you. I mean, that's when, when you start off, you know, obviously with what you say, it, it solidified your space in the whole movement uh, as, okay, this is the next rapper that's about to blow. Well, if corrupt gave a fuck about a bitch, I'd always be broke. I never have no motherfucking endo to smoke I get smoked and loony Bitch you can't do me Do we look like BBD You hoochie groupie I have no love for hoes That's something that I learned in the pound So how the fuck am I supposed to pay this hoe? Just the latest hoe I know the pussy's minds I'ma fuck a couple more times And then I'm through with it There's nothing else to do with it Pass it to the homie Now you hit it Cause she ain't nothing but a bitch to me And y'all know That bitches ain't shit to me You know people were kind of getting a taste Off Chronic they really got it off of this album. Doggy Style kind of paved the way. and which Oh, led, yeah. Which led oh, yeah. you guys to drop an album two two years later. But Ain't No Fun in general. Would you say that's your coming out party? Well, I'm going to tell you like Too Short said. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Yeah, Ain't No Fun is crazy because out of all my songs, uh, my biggest record that I'm known for when I do shows or you know, anywhere I go, is Ain't No Fun. And that was a, that was one of the coming out records. Bitches Ain't Shit and Ain't No Fun of the two records where Dog told me to take a chill pill. You know what I'm saying? 
ain't a bitches ain't shit. He already critiqued me in a way where he was just like rap about this, but ain't no fun. I was talking about killing MCs, you know, to that nice beat. That beat is so fun. And I was just like massacre, murder, monstrous, lyrical abilities, killing David. Dog like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, I rap about some people can relate to. That's when he hit me with that game. Changed my life. And uh, so I slowed it down. Nate laid the first, the first part. And again, and Dog always told me, he's like, man, you come up with the title tracks to, to the records. You come up with the key hooks, just like Nate. And I was like, damn, for real? He's like, bitches ain't shit. You came up with that. And now ain't no fun. I came up with that because I, I ended my rap like that. You know what I'm saying? You'll never be my only one. And then I came in originally. Ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. And Dr. Dre and Snoopy and Nate, they loved it that. So Dr. Dre was like, well, don't say it at the end of your rap, though. Just let it be. And I did my rap, and they were stuck when I said, corrupt gave a fuck about a bitch. I'd always be broke. I never had no motherfucking endo to smoke. That melody is smooth. I didn't have melodies. I was straight to the boop bop. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I added a little snoop in my shit. Well, if corrupt gave a fuck about a bitch, I'd always be broke. And then comes the Snoop. I never had no motherfucking endo to smoke. So, you know, Snoopy taught me that melody shit. I call it the Snoop. <clears throat> and uh, my most classic line, that's what everybody remembers. And no matter what, I, I throw that record on all the hip-hop heads because we just got off a road trip, just got off a tour, actually, our uh, promo tour for the Horsemen. And these are all hardcore hip-hop fans. That's good. And I do Ain't No Fun. And the whole hip hop community, the whole crowd is just, they know every line. Mm. And you know, that's not what you rock for these hardcore hip hop heads. They don't, they want to hear some rhymes, straight bars, but they love that. Everybody loves that one right there. You know, you mentioned uh, an important name. Can we just talk about the importance of Nate Dogg to you and the whole hip hop industry? I mean, nobody can do what he did, and there will never be anybody like him in my mind. Uh, especially when it comes to hooks. So can you just talk about the importance of Nate Dogg as far as, you know, him influencing and being a part of your career and just in general as, as, a, as a human being? Well, you know, Nate was integral also in my manhood because, you know, Nate's the older than all of us. And, you know, that's what he was. He, he was older than all of us. So he had that, that was his slot in the DPG. You know what I'm saying? But his melodies. I mean, it's hard to impress Dr. Dre. But Nate, every time he showed up to the dance, he just, he he was classic. And it shows and the appreciation everybody has for him. I love it because that's what Nate was. Nate was the soul of Dog Pound. He was the soul of DPG. And that's that 213. That's that Warren G. Nate was smooth thing. That's what DPG is built off of. Uh, 213. We're built off of Snoop Nate and Warren G. Those are the keys to everything that we do from G Funk shit to Nate's melodies added to the records. I mean, Nate is West Coast. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he took that harmony shit coming from the church and put gangster subjects to. And I see myself in Nate because that's what I did. 
know, May came with his, with his church by soul <clears throat> and put gangster topics to it. I came with my East Coast style lyrics and ability. And I threw gangster topics to it. So with the topics, I tell the tale, but lyrically. And so, you know, I, that's what I saw a lot of Nate and what I was doing. I always went to Nate about shit. Nate gave me that vibe. So Nate was the vibe. And he, he is the West Coast. But he's music in general because the East loved him, the South loved him. I mean, Nate, he was the key. Yeah, he made music for the soul. There's not many people. People make music sometimes for the mind, sometimes you know. But the soul, man, when 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 he would sing, it would hit you in a different way. And I don't think it's been duplicated since, and I don't think it will ever really be duplicated. He was a one of one, but there was like Marvin Gaye, man. You know, Marvin Gaye can never be duplicated. Teddy P, you know it. Nate's up in there. Yeah, is he the first guy of, of that kind to to sing the hooks and be that identifiable and just guarantee a hit like that? Is he the first one you think in rap to really do that? He's the only one. I, I really might, yeah, it probably I, is. I really, I really can't say that because that's such an in general question that comes to opinion. Mm-hmm. So I know for me that Nate is the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. It's the first one I can remember. The first one I know, of, right? That yeah. I can remember. And he rides the rhythm better than anybody. He rides that shit perfectly. I mean, the guys like Marvin Gaye, you mentioned, songs were created around them. Nate can take a song that's created and put his shit on it and sprinkle it in just the right way. You put Nate on your song, you're gonna have a hit. You're gonna have a hit. Nate is the male equivalent. Of Mary J. When it comes to rap records, hit records, I couldn't have said that better because that was like, good. Like Mary was good. J. is the queen. She's the queen of hip hop. You know, Mary J. When she gets on your record, you got hit. But she was, she was, she was to hip hop uh, what Nate was to our gangster rap. You know what I'm saying? Naked on there, he's gonna hit the subject right, and he's he's going to sing the soulful shit that that just takes you away. And that's the same with Mary. Mary was that. You know, when you got your hip hop record, no matter what you're rapping about, when Mary got on there, she could fit the cadence of whatever it is, hardcore mm-hmm. rap. This did Mary get on there with them with that soul? You know what I'm saying? And and that's exactly what Nate was. So yeah, the, the first one before Nate was Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Oh my mama, because that's what Nate did. Nate was that. There's only those two that I can think of. Mary J. That's on point. I, that's on point. King of the analogies. I stay on point. All right. So I mean, y'all, I mean, you stay on point like Stacey. Yeah, I'm just watching. Stay on point. <laughs> like Stacey Adams, baby. Let's <laughs> let's get to the uh the debut of dog food. But I want to know this real quick before we get to 1995. What happened with you guys? What were you guys doing the year prior? So 94, like I said, you dropped off Murder Was the Case. But what were you guys doing, you and Daz? Because this album, I think, was recorded in late 94, your Dog Food album. Immediately after Dog Food, because Snoopy and Dr. Dre and Shug made us stars with Doggy Style because we got our first video which was doggy dog world okay 
Yeah, so good. Opportunity to to uh, be so seen with all pounding group. And that was the first time we were seen as the group, and first time we shined as artists. Because I was in in uh, what's my name, and Dr. Dre picked me out the crowd with Krupp. Go in there and fill in that gap right there for the radio version. Now hit him with the what's your name, fool? What's your name, fool? Snoop Doggy Bam, that set off corrupt from the door. That was just a lie. He told me another thing. You could just like G up. Yeah. Dr. Trey's classic for this. He told Warren, just go in there and just say something, fill in that gap after corrupt. And I said, you'll never be my only one. And Warren G said, trick ass bitch. And that was it. And it was classic. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I did with, you know, uh, what's my name? I just, what's my, what's your name, fool? That was I mean, it. Was this, was this like improv style? You just That's improv? It. Freestyle. Improv. Yeah. Improvise, you know? Bam, that, that gap right there. Okay, and Dr. Dre just takes a look and, hey, go lay, go fill in that gap. You don't know what you're going to say. You just you feel the vibe. If you work, you work. If you don't, Dr. Dre eliminates it, figures out something else. But we made it every time. Warren G made it on Ain't No Fun. I made it on uh, uh, the radio version to What's My Name. You know what I'm saying? Dr. Dre gave you the opportunity to shine. It's all improv. It's not planned. It's not written. It's just straight. Go for it. This is what makes your talent crack, because when you call to the table, you show up and show up. We just mentioned this. We did a five-part series on 93. And of course, we we showcased the part of, of West Coast in 93. And we really talked about the type of musicality the production the way things were layered on the west coast was unlike any other place you would never get the mastering that you got on a west coast track especially something by dre and the way that you're talking now about the process of how dre does what he does i mean that's kind of what it's all about if you really break it down he was uh doing what the beatles did he was doing what um you know groups that were just understanding the proper amounts of music and layering and all of that stuff. It's real music. It's not hip-hop music. It's music. And understanding how to produce every inch of a record without overdoing it. He just has that mastery. And and I think that he's taught all you guys just a slice of that. And that makes a difference. Everybody, everybody who works with Dr. Dre, music, uh, music game elevates. You know, uh, he just, he teaches you the board. You know, like he'll sit there with us and he's working on things. And you just ask questions. You, you also got to apply yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because I'll be like, Dr. Gray, what's that? What'd you touch that button for? What? Oh, this is <laughs> for trouble. This makes the trouble. This is for the bass. Once I ask him that one question, he breaks down everything right there. This, that, this, the mid. So he would do that and he wouldn't go, man, don't worry about that shit. Just go spit the line. He wouldn't do that. He would get into the detail. Give you everything, man. You love to do that. You love to educate. You know, you ask him, what you do that for? I notice you do that all the time. Oh, cook, this is for this. Watch this. This is your delay. Now, echo and delay are two different things. Now, watch my echo, watch my echo, watch my echo, watch my echo. And he would lay shit chucks with sounds, snare, kick, cymbal, this and that, different sounds. Dr. Dre loves to educate his, his killers. That's what I love about the good doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about God, because God brought me Snoop, and then Snoopy brought me Dr. Dre. 
Now, Dre, Dre didn't do a lot of the production. It was mostly Daz off the Dog Food album, but he mixed, I believe, almost every record. Yeah, what, Daz did. Only other producer Dog Food was DJ Pooh. DJ Pooh. And he did. DJ Pooh did, did two songs. He did. Uh, did he do New York, New York? Yes, yeah, sure. So when you made that album, uh, when you made that record, uh, did you have any idea what would the repercussions of making that record? Let me say that. We thought uh, we thought we'd get the East Coast respect because I was on the mic mm-hmm. for a West Coast artists to come with this type of rhymes and this type of shit. We thought the East Coast would love us and finally get the West Coast their respect. Uh, we didn't see no, it wasn't a diss because the hook is Melly Mel. Mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five. Yeah. Yeah. People are looking for a problem though. Totally. That's exactly what it is. They, they put the East and the West against each other from the door. They used to call us whack and they would highlight that in the media and highlight it. The artist was highlighting it as well. That our, we're whack. So corrupt from death row was basically the, to contradict that. Like this is corrupt. And this is the representation that the West coast might get. Nothing you can say to this guy, he's West coast, South central. Right here. You know what I'm saying? With my Philly roots, South Central, he's like, yeah, he got, he got that Philly in him, but he's West Coast because he's been here since 16. And he's, at that time, I think I was going, to, I was 24. You know what I'm saying? So just turning 20, I was actually 23. And so it was like, he's West Coast because I, I was raised there. I was in the streets, gang banging. Only thing from Philly that was still in me was Mike. But my mentality and everything else, I was West Coast. So we didn't think they was tripping. We think they would love us. Mm. But it turned out the opposite. And um, they took offense to it. And, you know, we got shot at. That's what made us change the whole concept of the video. You know, if we hadn't got shot at, we was just shot at gave our respects to the East Coast the best way we can. And try, you know, we tried to change the way they looked at it. But when we got shot at, we took it offensively. And that's when we, you know, made the video the way it is. How'd that incident go down? Shooting the second, second day shoot. First day we was in, you know, all in New York. So we didn't think people were really tripping. But then Red Hook Brooklyn, we were shooting the next place. I mean, the next scene, we was in a trailer and then, you know, like three different shots just came through. First, we just thought it was like a sound. Then the second one came and everybody stopped and looked at each other. The third one came through, bust the light bulb. We said, oh shit, they shoot. We all got down. So when we got home, you know, got our got back to our P's and Q's because we was all shook up. Didn't understand it. Why would they think we're dissing them? And then, you know, it was just like, well, fuck it, did. You know, 
One war, we're going to give them that war because we're <laughs> shutting down the borders. West Coast is shut down. Boom. We, we made the video that you see. Oh, yeah. So I, it's safe to say the energy changed dramatically after this all happened. And um, going back to what you had said, I don't think this was something where people maybe took immediate offense until they got blown out of proportion. And I think Nori will be the first to tell you it was just an opportunistic moment for them to kind of jumpstart their career when they did LA, LA. LA, LA, big city of dreams, but everything in LA ain't always what it seems. You might get fooled if you come from out of town because we coming from Queens. It wasn't like they had any real beef with you, per se. It was a good opportunity for them to make a response record, and a lot of people do this in hip-hop. And that's what happened, and I think it kind of spiraled out of control. The media had a lot to do with it. And look, not for nothing, Death Row was a lot of hotheads. So it was like once they came with that energy, the East Coast, then it it was like games on. And, And 96 changed everything. Damn right. <laughs> so 96, Shug is, is puffed chest. This is Tupac is coming home. He's signing to you guys. And before we get into how the whole East West, because I don't want to kind of touch on a, a beat up topic, but what was it like for you at this time? Because I mean, first and foremost, you, you're, you're an MC, but you have an allegiance with your West Coast. Uh, team you also have ties to the east coast so were you like conflicted of where you like stood at this time did you feel like you know like maybe you were put on the front line and you want to be there or are you just all in at this moment because like i said with shug i mean you kind of had to be like death row or you're out the door well that didn't work with us we were the front line. But how'd you feel about that being like, you still have family out on the East coast. So were you conflicted at all about being involved in this? No, this was right up my alley. This is what I do. Cause that's, that's the Philly in you. With death row. That's my position. Definitely the Philly in and being West coast. Billy and me was pushed to a higher level of defense and attack. It was fun, you know, until, you know, it came, the media changed into a real war and people started biting into that. The, the mic is the fun part. The only difference is that we really wanted to fight. You know, that's the difference because when we go, when we go at it, it ain't just words. So, that was the real change in everything because, you know, we came straight to your chest. The lyrical shit is cool. And then we come to you from the streets, which is straight, you know, it's physical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where the problems really get involved. You know what I'm saying? Because it becomes physical. It ain't like the battles you be seeing. People could diss each other and then go have a glass of wine together and shit and kick it. <laughs> and understand, you no, know, it was personal, you know what I'm saying? So we meant everything we said when we said fuck somebody. 
That means that when we do run across you, we got to all get down. So that was the way we was raised in the West and how we were brought up with it. And so, you know, with the media, you know, pushing it, enhancing it. Yeah, I really didn't have no, it wasn't really no conflict to me. It was real simple. This is the squad. Because we were like a gang, you know, Death Row, we was a gang. We all came from you know, gang banging. We all came from that. So our loyalty and our push was straight from the streets, gang banging. So it was us or nothing. We all had that mentality before we got to Death Row with our own neighborhood. So now that you got us all together in unison, Bloods, Crips, Essays, Samoans, all on one page following one program. Yeah, that's a problem. So what my family would say or would think anybody from the East that'd be like, but you from you from Philly. I'm from 60s. Thank that's where I'm from. Dog Pound Gangs, the Crip. Whoever wants the issue, you're getting it. That's it. The best thing to do is stay out of it. You know, that was my mentality when I was young. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? You really don't. You know, you really don't look at it. The most you can do is, is participate and push for your squad. So what would you say to your young self at this stage of life in retrospect? I wouldn't. I'd leave that nigga alone. <laughs> <laughs> can we Can we then now look back and say maybe Dre caught a little bit more flack than he deserved for, for leaving death row and not aligning himself with that whole East Coast, West Coast uh, beef, if you will. Because I, I know there was a lot of turmoil in 96 uh, because of that. And and it unfortunately was kind of like the start of the, of maybe the decline of death row because Pac had died later that year. I mean, and then Snoop before you knew it was on no limit. So Dre leaving if you want to call him the captain of the ship to jump ship and, and, and rock with Jimmy Iovine and start his own thing. Um, would you, do you feel now in 2021 that maybe he, he, he didn't deserve some of this, you know, of the criticism that maybe he received back then? What did he receive? Well, a lot of people, a lot of people were not happy that def, uh, that Dre left the camp that left his team. Uh, Tupac was pretty adamant about it. Suge was pretty adamant about him leaving. And, you know, people viewed it as, all right, well, look. You, well, not, who, who, who else felt that way? Uh, I, I guess what you're trying to lead to is the media made it that way. And maybe you're right. But, I mean, that's per the perception, I guess. And that's the only thing I think hip-hop listeners can take away from it is what we read and what we, you know, we, we, we see on TV. So, if well, you're you know, telling... Game is, to, game is to be sold, not told. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, what, what are you supposed to say when you say, uh, you know, we got creative differences and mm -hmm. we have business differences? You know, Dr. Dre built the ship. Yeah. So, he didn't jump off the ship. He said, y'all can have the ship and created a new ship. But, you know, people, they love a fight. Mm -hmm. So when the media painted a picture by Dr. Dre, jump ship from death row. It's like, I mean, when you, you know, create the ship, 
know, God, Drake created the ship and he said, you can have this ship. I've sailed as far as I can with this one. I'm already building a new ship. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was creative differences, it was business differences. You know, uh, shit, Dr. Dre did California Love. Tupac was smashing everybody on California Love. So Dr. Dre was, he was in. That's a great way to put it. How you said, I built the ship. Now I'm giving you the ship. I've done all I can with it. Move on. That's a great way to make people understand what really was going on there. That's exactly what Dr. Dre did. Mm -hmm. I built this ship. Now it's floating in a direction that I'm not liking. You know what I'm saying? You know, you don't have that ship. I gave y'all everything I can. Now y'all floating. Good luck. I'm creating a new ship now. I mean, from my interpretation, I would say he made music first. You know what I'm saying? Like that meant more than the than the craziness. And it's almost like I, I can't be a part of this. You know, I'm a musician first. You gotta understand Dr. Dre created the first war, remember? Ruthless. Yeah. Dr. Dre don't give a fuck about a war. He loves that shit. Hmm. <laughs> Wasn't the war that made him leave business and creative views, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like, you know, to be honest. His war was real with his problems, you know, with, with, with Eric and with Ruthless Records. That was real to him. Now, all the rest of these things, like Dr. Dre was, you know, already been to war. This ain't the war I want to fight, you know. It's, I'm, I want to make this music now. I got all minds out, but this one right here is just not real to me. And I want to get back to this music. I'm on a different page, you know, so I, I gave y'all the ammunition y'all need to go on and do what y'all want to do. I don't want to be a part of this company anymore. Not because of this war y'all going through. That's irrelevant. But what is relevant is these business issues and these creative issues that I'm having. It's stunting my creativity around this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I got to go. And then the second one to leave death row was corrupt. Well, I, I, I want to talk about that because you had signed with AM Records. So bef- before we jump to the corrupt solo career, give me one thing that you learned from Pac that is still with you today, that still plays in your head from time to time. Because I know he had a crazy work ethic, crazy influence. I don't know if he's giving you advice, but what was the one thing that you've learned with from Pac that still resonates with you today? Uh, he changed my, my work ethics. You know, uh, my appreciation of the studio, studio time. My career itself, to take this shit serious, like this is a career, this is serious. Uh, that's, that's the main thing that he embedded into all of us because we was all we all had our own work ethic but when Pac came he was a workaholic he planned his whole day through being in the studio going home doing some shopping or whatever get some rest come back to the studio work and then go back home get ready for the club go hit the club leave the club with bitches and hoes and come back to the studio boom and work all the way till morning and then go home and that was his routine but out of that routine throughout the day, he's knocking down about 
six, seven songs in one day. Well, we go to the studio, we was coming out with one song, spending the whole day while dad is making beats and sitting there with that process and then maybe lay a verse and then head home and call it a day. You know what I'm saying? Be in there all night and just come out with two verses, no hook. And pop like, what the fuck is you doing? <laughs> oh, man, shit, man, this shit, this is your career. And then Pac gave me acting game. Told me how he got juice. How he got the role for Bishop. So showed me how easy it was to be in the acting game. And said, you know, he told me, you, you got to wear all of these hats, man. All of this is your talent. Every time you do a music video, that's the same thing as when you do a movie. You know what I'm saying? They direct you on what you need to do. You do it. You improvise. Your script is your lyrics. You improvise your lyrics. You, you know, that's, you know, so he taught me the film game. Those are two key things that, that Tupac that stays in my mind that he taught me. You know, he taught me the film game and he taught me work ethics. You know, after that, I just started knocking down songs all day long. Bop, 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 bop. Okay, cool. I'm done. Let's go. I got three done today. Bam, the next day. Ooh, bop, ooh, bop, ooh, bop, bop. Me and dad knocking down four or five records a day after Pop came home. Mm. So that's pretty embedded in me. If he was still here today, do you think he'd be more of an actor than a rapper? Where do you see him now? He'd be doing both. He'd be doing well, because you could arguably say that Will Smith is the most, uh, maybe the greatest rapper actor right when you when you look at longevity in the career of 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 him but tupac probably would have been right there uh, he was already on that path uh certainly musically um i think so he would have been bigger you you think he would be doing both i mean I, I see him as like one of the best actors if he was still still in the game today i mean he was he had that natural charisma that yeah. just oozed through the screen and and, and when he spoke you felt it like kind of like you know we we're talking about nate dog makes music for the soul so did Pac. you know well you know yeah uh, as you can see rappers that turn actors they give up one tupac when they gave up they keep elevating and acting and they keep elevating their music Will Smith, like you said, but where's his albums? Yeah, I mean, stopped. He's a, a full-time actor. Common is excellent with the acting. Where's his albums? Not the same kind of albums anymore. Andre sure. 3000, he stopped rapping. He stopped doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> he does the acting, you know. He still does his, he still does his movie shit. Most death. Where's his albums? Where's most deaf? <laughs> most, <laughs> deaf play, most deaf to me uh, is Will Smith and then there's most deaf. Most deaf played the first black doctor because changed his accent and everything. Ain't nobody fucking. That's acting, cuz. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That is pure D. That's the, that's the, he's number two, cuz, when it comes to rappers that do acting. 
Black Black Rose Belt is number two. Black Nobody, Belt's a pretty good actor too. I mean, but what roles though? Because you know, how, do you understand what the role is? Oh, I, it's I, easy to for Tupac to play his roles. Yeah. That's him. That is just him. Bishop is him. Bishop is him. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about Steel. And I don't give a fuck about Raheem either. I don't give a fuck about myself. Look, I ain't shit. I ain't never gonna be shit. And you less of a man than me. So as soon as I decide that you ain't gonna be shit. Playing the first black doctor, that's not most death. Cause that's what yeah. acting is about. That's why Will is the is, is the one of the greatest. Yeah. Because he's not playing himself. I mean, look at Enemy of the State. Come on, cuz. Look at motherfucking Independence Day. Come on, cuz. Look at the <laughs> motherfucking movie he did with his son, the first one. Pursuit of happiness. That was Pursuit of come on, cuz. I'm looking forward to him being uh, uh Serena Williams' dad. That's Will Smith. Even his rhymes was comedy. All his hit records was comedy. I always that's had a lot of respect for him because yeah. he 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 never wavered from who he was. And see, that's acting though, cuz. See, you just talking about person being in a movie, but you ain't looking at the role. Mm-hmm. What role was challenging to the nigga? That what makes an actor like Denzel. Like like Samuel Jackson and all these great actors from the past to now was because they play a role that's not their normal whoop wop. It's easy to play yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why point. I said, yeah, when he played that first black doctor, that was a challenge. He changed his accent. He changed everything. How can you do them accents like that? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's that that's acting right there. Will and Cuts. Because we all know ain't nobody fucking with Jamie Foxx at all. No one. No, nobody. no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, look. But uh, Will's, Will, Will's up there. Will's Will up is there. the top. Yeah, Will's the top of the group. But after Will, if we're looking at musicians or just music, period, and then going acting, you got Will, and then you got Jamie Foxx. Because like Jamie hit Ray, Will cracked Ali. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That wasn't easy to do. To practice. Mm-hmm. Do you know how hard it is to be Ali and, and hit to a T how to be Ray Charles? See, that's acting, gentlemen. Everybody else, if you look at their roles, they're playing roles similar to themselves. That's not, that's easy to do. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. And that's great because like Common comes in there because like him you know, smoking aces. And I've seen so many different films of Common just playing different shit like that. Will, uh, Jamie, most deaf. Mm. Blows me away there, bro. Then you got most deaf playing that one character where he was that one boy that was kind of slow that they wanted to kill. Oh, shit. What movie was that? Exactly. See what I'm talking about? That nigga most deaf is special with them acting chops. But where are they records at? See, Tupac would have kept doing the acting and going to the top and acting. But he'd still be dropping classic ass motherfucking mm. hit records, cuz. He dropped a hit record that went platinum because he was in the penitentiary, couldn't even promote it. <laughs> so you have you have a lot of acting credits to you know in, in your uh history. Do do you like do you like Hollywood? Do you like acting? Or are you like you got got you know several roles and and you know 
decide that you don't like it or how do you feel about it? What do you think? I love it, but I will tell you, this is a lot of hard work, a lot mm -hmm. harder work than I thought it would be. You know, I thought, hey, man, you should do it, have fun, but that shit's a lot of work. There's more work than making records and mm -hmm. going on tour. This shit is real. So mm -hmm. I grew a different respect for actors when I cracked my roles because I had to earn them, you know, uh, and then those long hours, guys. I mean, shit, you're filming the same thing 12 times to just get one take. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that Tupac. Tupac and my son's mother, Latina Reed, rest in peace. You know, she she was the one that took me to William Morris. And Tupac gave me the game how to act and relieved my fear. And so those are the two for the acting side of things. And you know, I love it. I'll be honest. It's my second root block. You know what I'm saying? The music is first, and then there's acting. And so, you know, I do both. You know, right now I'm on my music page. And then I'll give music a break for a second, go on my acting page. And I'm going to go back to my music page, and I'm going to work for the rest of my life. So let's get back to the music, because we, we haven't touched on your debut, Corruption. A and M records, which now makes sense to me because you were on the Slum Village record and they were signed to A and M. You were on back and forth. So that's oh, yeah. probably how that collaboration went down, right? Oh yeah. This was Jay Dilla before we know him as Jay Dilla today. So Jay um, Dilla. Jay Dilla. He's special too. Since I was young, dumb and hung, hard to believe and hard to breathe like I'm missing the lung. It's all foggy, nope, let me through the fog. Coop, missing gas, snoop and eight dog. Gotta get in where I fit in, sit in, put my bid in. Standing as a man in the land of the forbidden. Hard to realize till I saw a televised. And that made a young brother have to open his eyes. I had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And a whole lot of money I miss. But without that whole lot of money I miss. Then Kawhi couldn't rock like this with a knot like this. I learned games, baby, 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 baby. Corruption. This was a this was an interesting record because it was a double album, which wasn't that common back then. I mean, I know Pac had done it, uh, Wu did it, uh, several people did it, but you dropped a double record. It was like an East Coast West Coast edition, right? Yes, sir. East Coast, if I recall, the We Could Freak It was this the lead single. You had um, uh, you had Black, uh, Buck Buckshot Shorty. On light shit up, and then of course on the the West Coast side, you had uh, you had a lot of joints like like I said, we could freak it. I think you had two versions. One was with Nori, and one was with uh, uh, yes, sir. Baby, baby, yes. So yes, let sir. let's get into this particular album because this is the debut album. This is where people were expecting you to. This is this is what they were waiting on after all the years prior. This was off Entra Records, which we're going to get into in, in a little bit. You put out three records on Entra, right? This was the debut. So tell us about the debut album, your thoughts on it, if there's anything different you would do about do on this album now, and, you know, I guess the making of this album, because, like you said, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of stuff going on at the time. This is, two th this is 1998, so there's a lot of stuff going on in your world to lead up to this record. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, being my first solo record, it had to be about corrupt. What makes corrupt? Well, you know, the East and the West Coast. 
So I wanted to I wanted to give back for my my first venture into this solo game. <laughs> I wanted that record. I dedicated that record to the two places that made my career, which is the East Coast and the West Coast. So I made a whole dedication to the East by doing all East Coast music, East Coast producers, East Coast artists, and one for the West. West Coast artists, all West Coast producers. Dr. Dre told me I would have probably went platinum if I wouldn't have made it a double album and just kept that concept, but do Happy Album West, Happy Album East, and make one LP instead of a double one. But I had so much I wanted to get off my chest to release for the East Coast and so much to get off my chest to release for the West Coast. I wanted to give them their own wop wop. I wanted to give them their own album. So that's what the whole concept of corruption was. All this East Coast, West Coast war stuff and all these odds. And I'm built to both worlds. So I wanted the album to reflect both worlds. That's why I had two versions of Week and Freaking. It wasn't my first single. It was successful. Uh, so, back then, remixes was cracking. You know, a lot of remixes of songs. So, I wanted a remix, but I wanted it East Coast. So, we got Week and Freaking West Coast. Now, let's let's do a Week and Freaking East Coast. And then I got uh, I got my big homie uh, to do the beat. And I went out to Nori. We became good friends. So Nori decided to get on there. Stevie J did the beat. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, that was different because Nori made LALA. I made mm -hmm. New York, New York. And now we're together on one whoop wop. I thought that was historical. Mm -hmm. Bad boy, death row, became enemies. And Stevie J came from the Bad Boy Squad, mm -hmm. corrupts from the Death Row Squad. So that one remake, I felt was very historical and very good for hip hop in general, showing this unity from Bad Boy production, Death Row artists to New York, New York, and L.A., L.A. All that coming together as one. So, you know. It was a historical thing for me and a great set for my solo career by giving back to the East and the West Coast. A year later, it didn't take you very long. You dropped your sophomore album, which is Streets as a Mother. And I'm going to say, because I know this is always comes down to difference of opinion, but this probably goes down as one of the most important West Coast classics, in my opinion. <laughs> Wow. of all time i think it's a great companion record to dre's 2001 which dropped in in 99 as well um, yeah. i think this is also where you kind of entered your comfort zone as an mc you've always been an mc but now you started making music that like i said is it, it will go down as some of the most important records to come out the west and I know a lot of people have chemistry. People are always going to associate you with Daz. But I, I got to say, man, you and Fred Reck have always had great chemistry. And I think you guys have made some of the best music together. And it started on this record. Yeah, buddy, Daz brought Fred Reck to the table. 
Daz had a, a CD, Beats, Fred Rep. And we picked two of them. Daz picked two of them. Represent that and we ride with us. And uh, that started the Fred Reckon Corrupt team. You know what I'm saying? Fred became my Dr. Dre. And I was Snoop. Mm-hmm. And with Daz, you know, that's the dog count. Whole wop wop is Daz. But solo wise, Fred Reck was my Dr. Dre. Okay. So Daz, Daz brought Fred to the table. We made, we made classics. We made some classic uh, great records. We made hit records. Man. Um, <clears throat> Streets as a Mother was the setup. You know, the chronic, the 2000 version of the chronic, the second chronic. And Streets as a Mother dropped on the same day. That's why I said it's a, it's a companion record. If you listen yeah. to both records, it has a very similar vibe. And both records have Hosea of House. Right, because that was for that was for the chronic. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. And then the hook, the hook came from my song from Corruption. I had a song on there that I made the beat to, I produced it, called Hose the Housewife. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Dre had that beat up. I just started rapping Hose the Housewife to it, and Dr. Dre loved it. So he was like, play that. I said, well, I already did this on Corruption, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but lay that shit right there corrupt that's tight trust me nobody's gonna get it right. and I was just like okay so I did the hook and my first verse from the song from Corruption Dr. Dre taught me that too like man that shit it just doesn't get old I could do my same shit to this new beat and it'll be a whole new record mm-hmm. like wow I never stopped learning when it comes to Dr. Dre he always teaches me something new so you know I did it. Dr. Dre loved it. And then he made that version. I loved it. I called him and I said, Dr. Dre, I got to have that record. Man. I got to have it for my album too. That's the only record I've ever seen Dr. Dre allowed to be on somebody else's project and his. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Dr. Dre was like, cool. I'm with it. That's why I love Dr. Dre. He supported me to the fullest with my solo career, my death row career. So, that was amazing to me right there. Dr. Dre was willing to let me get on that. And I could use it for mines. He said, I'm going to change mines up, though. I'm going to add other things in it so you can have this version of it. And I'm going to do mines a little different and add this to that. And so that was historic. Because Dr. Dre don't let you put something. He'd be like, no. No. You know what I'm saying? But he loved corrupt. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> We we now know how uh, Fred Reck came in the picture. I want to know how you linked up with Organized Noise because they produced a few tracks off this album as well. Uh, specifically, I Call Shots, which is, I think, the, leads, the lead track off the album. Right. I call, I call shots round here. Tell me to pop, not to pop round here. Slow down. Don't make too much noise. You know it runs the block round here. Psychosomatic, automatic static. Supersonic, bubonic, chronic addict Astronomical when the thunderdome center In the depths of the dungeon Dangerous, dastardly Catastrophes, metamorphosized into a pit Tyranodon, cracking the bricks on the walls Camouflage on the side of the line About to put something up in the garage It's time for World War Three, motherfucker You know me, young got T, motherfucker I hold the microphone like a grudge In a lack laid 
back, so back the fuck up. That's Gip. Gippy. Big Gip. Big Gip. You know, he brought me to his home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> brought me to the dungeon. Off of that, I created Dungeon West. You know, we represent we're from the West Coast, but we Dungeon family, me and my brother Roscoe. But yeah, my Big Gippy was the key. He brought me into his home. And uh, Ray Rico and Pat Sleepy Brown, they braced me and took me in. Family member, laced my chucks that stayed in the dungeon when I worked on all those records. Got on Cool Breeze's album. Got on a couple albums while I was over there. Worked with Witch Doctor and just worked with the dungeon. I stayed over at Rico's house. Me and my brother Roscoe. Future used to come through there. You know, Future and Rico were cousins. So Future used to be over there. He was young. All that came from Big Gip. Gip it! So what was the production style differences between, let's say, Dungeon and, and Dre? I mean, we know how Dre was, but did Dungeon have direction? Did they just say, do what you do? I mean, uh, Dungeon Family is definitely one of those other musical uh, production teams that just no one did it like them, too. Yeah, they had both, just like Dr. Dre is both. You know, they'll give you direction, you make that record. Then they'll let you go wild. Whatever you fit. And it's proof in the songs. Tequila was organized direction. You know what I'm saying? And that's Nivea on the hook of Tequila. That's the first record she ever came out with in her life. Was Tequila. So that was organized direction. I Call Shots was go for what you know. They made it, Rico and them would work. They made the beat. I said, oh, that's mine. He was like, oh, you like that quote? Go for it. And I just went AWOL, <laughs> nuts. And hook, I came straight through. So they worked same as Dr. Dre. You know, some songs they had direction for you. And other songs, you're the direction. You go wherever you want to go. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Before we, we, we jump to Space Boogie, I want to ask you, doing a song with KRS One, I mean, that's got to be up there with like having a street named after you, you know? Oh, yeah. It's Chris. That was it. Then again, I noticed that everybody think they can fuck with us. But luckily, I noticed everybody wants to be close to us. Trying to bust when they bust. I seen them name treacherous and they ain't fucking with us. My style's out this universe. Words that serve all these MCs, they can hear pre-verbs. I break them down nouns and verbs. They know exactly what I do. I run through crew for crew. Hey, arrest the song, you, baby. True underground, boogie down. Got them running around. Coming to town, breaking them all the way down and making them frown. True underground, not a class clown. Copy, you yes, poppy. I wrote the mash out posse. The beat down posse, terror squad. You'll find me was never hard when the clip load. Now you flip mode. How did that come about? I know Superfly made the beat, but I, I don't believe superfly arranged that that collaboration how how did that come about because during this time uh, many people who are maybe your newer fans because there's so many different pockets of corrupt fans you know you have horsemen fans that maybe aren't familiar with some of your older stuff but you were universally known as one of the best freestylers period hard stop wake up show iconic moments and here you are doing a freestyle-ish type of song 
with KRS off this album. How did this collaboration even come about? Yeah, that was a dream come true to be able to have a freestyle session with the greatest freestyler ever, mm -hmm. Chris. But um, I think we was in the same studio working. And, you know, Chris always showed me love throughout the years. And basically, you know, I told him, come on over, man. Come to the Woo Wop working on my album. And he came over. And we did it old school, like what I used to see the old school artists do. A lot of the music they made, it wasn't one mic and then another mic. I mean, it wasn't one mic and then this person does this, the other person would go in. You know, back in the 70s and the 60s, they had to go straight through because they ain't had 24 tracks and all that special shit. You know what I'm saying? They had limited tracks. So the band would play and they recorded it all live. At the same time, they would practice the song, wah, 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 and then, boom, all right, we're going to record it. Let's go. And then they just record it at the same time. Band is playing. And that, that was the real feel right there. You know what I mean? It's not directed. It's raw. And that's what me and Chris did. We went back to the 60s and the 70s with this game. We had two mics in the studio. Superfly press play on the beat, and we just went. He's right here on this side with the mic. We both were sitting in a chair, too, just sitting in the chair with the mics right there. And I'll be right there. Yeah, yeah, we did it straight through freestyle all the way through. Oh, right. awesome, man. That was a dream come true. It's great for two reasons. One, because, like you said, KRS is, is arguably one of the greatest to ever yeah. do it. Yep. But on such a very, very West Coast heavy influenced album, as you get towards the back of the album, you, you hear this joint of KRS and it just reminds a lot of the people that were listening like, damn, if you strip away all that stuff, Corrupt is one of the best freestylers, period. And, yeah, and tell I, you, boy, you, you, boy to, to, to even be on the same stage as KRS-One, freestyling and to make it because I made it you know what I'm saying you can't serve Chris because it's impossible to serve Chris but to make it mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying that was the accomplishment because we both sounded great and I made it a lot of rappers man you get up there with Chris man you gonna drop that ball man mm -hmm. Chris because we kept coming back and forth back and forth back and forth we never stop we never stop we never stop so you gotta keep going with no blemishes that's the key. You just keep on going. You don't fall off. You just keep on going. There was times I was about to fall off on there, and I caught myself. Bop, 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 bop. I learned that from Chris before I even never met him. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You just you just got to keep on going and make it make sense in your rhymes. So yeah, that was a, that was that was refreshing. And it it's really probably gave it's me. probably one of the most fun sessions you ever had. Oh, definitely. Just in there. No competition, fun, freestyling, <clears throat> just a cipher. And to make a good record out of it as well. I mean, shit, Snoop, so he accomplished that before. He did uh, the Shiznit. Mm -hmm. That's one freestyle straight through. No blemishes, mm. no no falling off, just straight hey, through. Didn't, didn't Quick do that too on so many ways? They DJ Quick done it before. Yeah. Straight through. Shoom. 
which is Ooh. like one of my favorite quick songs so many ways i'm pretty sure he freestyled the whole thing yeah you know that that's that's the mic man west coast got to get that bug all places get that bug man mm-hmm. down south you know what i'm saying you got great like ludicrous sick mm-hmm. you know he what i'm saying voice. his voice is meant he's got and a great voice style yeah style you know what i'm saying and his rhymes his word connections he, you know, and that's being an MC. You make words rhyme that don't even rhyme. He's one of those few guys for me that can go make you know big commercial hits, and but you but you dap him up because he, like you said, he's a real MC. He's got the great voice, got the total package. I mean, you know, they got it nowadays. Because to be honest with you, nobody want to fool around with this this boy Drake. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fool with Drake. Man. He makes he makes songs, not make hit records, but he'll get on that mic. Mm-hmm. And he'll shut your ass down. You don't want to fool with Drake. Man. He's got it. He's hey, good. He's good he's at what he does. Guy, he's an MC, man. You know what I'm saying? And Kendrick, you don't want to fool with Kendrick. It's funny that you bring up Kendrick. I I, I have to say, it's got to feel pretty damn good to know that along with a few others. Uh, from the West Coast, you influence a Pulitzer Prize rapper, man. I mean, you interest you you you've got you've influenced Kendrick Pulitzer Lamar. Pulitzer Prize, like that's unheard of. Crazy, man. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you know, I love Kendrick to death because he's humble as well. He didn't have to give it up for corrupt, you know, but he did. He gave it up, and you know. I was fucking with Kendrick. He was K-Dot. J-Rock is the key to Kendrick. You know what I'm saying? And he really put the time in to shape this young man into being a great MC. J-Rock is sick, too. So it's like, you know, Terrace brought Kendrick to my table. He brought Kendrick and J-Rock. You know what I'm saying? And through that, I met Schoolboy Q. And all of them I rocked with. Kendrick just... His humility is his key. He's sick on the mic, but he's humble about it. He gave it up for corrupt as an influence. And everybody would think that Tupac and Snoop and, and these, these big known name rappers was his key. I was his rock end. Like what rock end was to me, that's what I was to Kendrick. And that was totally flattering. I was like, oh, man, really? Because this boy is great. So that that was a lot of love right there. Blew me away. Before we bring it to current times, I I do want to touch on the last record that you recorded at Entra Records, which was uh, Smoke Odyssey. This is a record where, unfortunately, I don't think it got the recognition it deserved. I don't know if it was the climate in hip hop. I don't know if it was the labels, what have you. I just feel like this particular record had so many important songs. I'm like... Fuck a bitch and fuck you too. It's so many different things that I'm gonna do. Switches all fucked up. Living in the 80s, jacking niggas for Nissan trucks. A quarter piece to flip. It's me and Daz and two bitches. I never gave a fuck, nigga. Daz and corrupt. They say this ain't the way to get rich. I might as well pimp me a bitch. Uh, you had John B on here. You had Everlast. You had DJ Quick. And of course, the hardest motherfuckers, which is probably one of my favorite collaborations, period. Um, yeah. There were just so many good songs on here. And again, 
I don't know if it was the climate because you had that whole deaf, uh, deaf jam kind of resurgence in hip hop and everyone was like, you know, uh, I guess DMX, Ja Rule, Jay, that's kind of what was dominating the airwaves. So this record for me at least didn't get the love it should have on the East coast where, where I reside. But I want to talk about this because going back to you and, and Fred Rec, you guys really put together a hell of an album. Uh, I don't know if it's better than Streets as a Mother because I think that's like your chronic, but this is a chronic 2001. Well, you know, I got a record on there. Like you said, Hardest Motherfuckers, that was one of, a, one of them climax records for me as well because I got to bust with MC Ring. You know, that was special. But yeah, you know, uh, like it's over. A lot of records on there, I didn't really think people would get or would like like that. Turned out to be the records they liked, like it's over. You know, we was just having fun and clowning. I mean, I even had Natina write my verse and I wrote her verse. It wasn't the record we took serious. We was just clowning and having fun. And turned out to be the one that radio liked the most for the first single. And Turned out to be the one that my company, Entre, liked the most, Joe Marone, Tyrone, and the, and the whole team. So, you know, that blew me away. I'm like, damn, that one? No, I wasn't covering other records, but in the John B. record, me and Fred even went as far as to rack up Fred Durst, Limp Biscuit. That was, that was iconic. I laid on back. Yeah, with Nate. I heard that. Wow, Nate Dog and Fred Durst. Oh my goodness. I've been through the full court pressure stage. The homies gave me a nine the first time I saw Gage. The first time I put my feet down solid, mashing on top of concrete. Before all the ways of war, housing car doors felt the rays of war. When life was simple as shit. And we didn't give a fuck about a bitch. 1986. And then Everlast. Oh, that was just, on Space Boogie. There was a lot of star studded this. Like Where I said, Streets of the Mother was at home. I, I brought the homies in. Corruption was just all corrupt. I went and got Battle Cat. My first original producer's Battle Cat and Tony Tobin. But I went and got Battle Cat. So corruption was just all corrupt. And then you got Streets of the Mother where I brought the whole squad. But then you got fame and fortune, I felt like. The Space Boogie was star-studded with the Limp Biscuit with Fred Durst and the motherfucking uh, hardest motherfucker running the exhibit. And then you got... Uh, Nate Dogg was on there, obviously. And Nate Dogg, right. With Nate Dogg and Fred DJ Durst. Quick. DJ Quick. You know what I'm saying? Got a record with DJ Quick. That was epic to me. You know what I'm saying? All of that was just really epic. Then I had DJ Lethal do me a record. You know what I'm saying? That was so that was more star studded. It showed my to me, it was showing my growth, my elevation as an artist. And that was the excitement of that. You had a lot of songs on here that could have been singles. In their own right, the the Everlast song, which I'm right. guessing now Lethal was the connection to Everlast. John B. Sunshine was a radio joint. So the label is the one that maybe put out or told you to put out. It's over. Can we talk about the label now that the statutes of libertations have run out on Entra? So 
We <laughs> all know Deft Row is backed by uh, Suge and his uh, his his crew. Well, Entra, for many people that don't know, is a was a Philly label. And right. can we talk about Big Tyrone and some of those guys that uh, may have? Um, I don't think people realize Entra Records one is in Philly. I don't know if, if a lot of people one know that. And it was. Uh, can we talk about? That uh, it was backed by wise guys, Skinny Joey, uh, Skinny, uh, Skinny uh, Joey Molino, and those guys. I mean, is this where the <laughs> the, the young Gotti comes from? Like the moniker Young Gotti, because you're hanging around all these Italian folks. Well, Tupac gave me the name Young Gotti. Okay, you know he came up with his alias Machiavelli. Everybody came up with their aliases, and Tupac said, "You gonna be Young Gotti because you fly and you gangster." Okay. So that's where Young Gotti came from. Isn't it ironic that through my career, after being named by Tupac Young Gotti, because Snoop named me the Kingpin, so that's why I was corrupt Kingpin. And then Tupac comes home and then he creates aliases. Machiavelli was his and everybody came up with their own. That's where Daz got Dillinger from because uh, Tupac called me Young Gotti. So I went back to my squad and told him, we making aliases. So Daz came up with Dillinger, Snoop was Coleone. And then the ironicness is when I do my solo shit, I end up over there, yeah, with the wise guys. You know, we was, <laughs> was gangsters. They taught me a lot, a lot of business. You know, Joe Marone and Tyrone told me a lot about the business, showed me a lot and gave me a lot of legs to be an executive and showed me that side of the game. And streetwise, they, you know, they had my back 100%. Felt real bossy. Payola. You know, <laughs> man, no joke, man. You know what I'm saying? And, and class, because that's one thing I really learned from being around. Joe Marone and Tyrone was class. They taught me class a different way. Uphold myself. They educated me on stature and how I should uphold myself. Because you see the way they are. They uphold themselves to a certain code of their own and a way that they got to be in the game. So, you know, I learned that from them as well. And young Joey blew me away because I had a birthday party at Gotham. Just rocked the streets. Joey Marlino just became who he was. Skinny Joey? Yeah, Skinny Joey. And he came to my party. He lives down here by us. So that's why we're Our black like, community, they was blown away. Like, yeah. wait a minute. They like, corrupt is the fucking name. What are you talking about? Do you know who fuck that is over there, man? Mm-hmm. That's fucking Joey Marlino, man. They was like, no way. Damn, he got Joey Marlino coming to his shit. This nigga's gangster. If you believe the police, the underworld, once dominated by heavies like Sammy the Bull Gravano, Big Paul Castellano, and Fat Tony Salerno, has a new big shot, Skinny Joey Merlino. Philadelphia police believe Skinny Joey is as heavy as a crime boss can be these days. That was the first time I met Joey. He came and showed me so much love. He said, where's corrupting? Where's corrupting? Everybody just looking at him. Like Michael Jackson and shit, they just so amazed. I didn't know who Joey was. He came over to me, corrupt, who I what? Told me who he was, man. Yeah, I fucking love you, man. I fucking love you. Come on, man, let's have some woo-wop. Some champagne, come on. 
and just embraced me, man. So that was exciting. Like I'm, I'm with the real. I mean, I know we, we Crips and Bloods, cause but this the real deal. Legendary, you man. Hear me? Legendary. Oh man, this is it. This is the top of the world. You understand me, man? This the this the real deal, man. I'm here with the real deal, and they love me. You're, you're so living like, like Sammy Davis Jr. over there. Ooh. I mean, you understand me? I mean, I was, I was. You hear me? So the 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 irony is so skinny Joey. We don't anyone could Google this, but skinny Joey. We live in South Florida. He so he shortly after all that he moved down to South Florida after he got out, and he opened up a restaurant. And I'm from Philly, oh, wow. so I so I know I know about Skinny Joey. Actually, a lot of people know about Skinny Joey that follow uh, that kind of stuff. So I've always thought it was kind of interesting that there was a link to that, mm-hmm. and you, uh, you know, and, and you made these records. So a lot of the listeners don't know that. So I appreciate you kind of sharing some stories and uh, letting letting them in on some of the behind the scenes stuff that made some of these classic records that you put out uh, with Entra. So look, Entra later went on to fold like many labels do, and you found yourself back on death row. So I really want to, because we spent already a lot of time going back to the old stuff, but I think it's important to give the listeners a true defining breakdown of your career because it's so important and that you've done so much. I don't want them to think it's just one particular album, uh, whether it's a horseman or or what you did with uh, with Snoop and Dre, so it's important to focus on what you did uh, as a solo. But I want to know this again. Going back to Death Row was probably I don't know if it was easy or if it was not easy, but I will say it was interesting because a lot of the people that you were riding with were not on Death Row at the time, and of course we don't need to get into the whole beef. And there was maybe either some early stuff with you and Daz and dust stuff, but going back to death row, was it hard because of the stigma that followed death row after Pox death? Um, how maybe a lot of people were pinning Suge as one of the people involved. Uh, and, and then of course, obviously that Snoop wasn't there. Daz wasn't there. We already know Dre left. So it was kind of like going back from ground zero and trying to rebuild that label. What was that like? Tell, tell the listeners the thought process and going back there and what it was like while you were, while you were signed to the label again. Well, you know, I was going through a lot of ups and downs myself, personally. Um, I was kind of kamikaze. I was tired. I was over being an artist. I was over being a rapper. I was over the whole shebang. I was, wanted to be, I wanted to be just an executive, you know, my entree experience, being the president of Entre. I was enjoying that more than I was enjoying being an artist. So when Suge came home, he gave me the opportunity to be a pres- president of Death Row over the artist development side of things so i was like um okay no it's just it's, this is different this is actually what i'm looking for right now and she was like you know this is the type of level that you're on you know so i didn't sign the death row i was still on entree actually um 
but you know, being an artist at Entra, giving up my position as president of Entra, I can have any job I want. Releasing records is a different thing. So I said, I don't want to do this music shit anymore. I want to be an executive and should open up that door. It cost me a lot though, because my friendship, mm-hmm. family ties, that was interrupted from that decision. Me and the homies was at ends. And, um, you know, that was a learning experience as well. Should have given me that opportunity to develop artists and be the president of artist development, all of that right there. Should have said, basically, you want to be the president of that row. You deserve this type of position. I accepted it. And, um, you know, we worked on Crooked Eyes Project, a couple other projects, and then I got the mic bug back and I made me another album called Against the Grain. And before that came out, I linked back up with Snoop and Daz. Snoop told me straight up, you know what I'm saying? I ain't worried about none of that other shit. You know, you did what you had to do. It's time to come home. And I was more than ready at that time. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Yeah, it's time for me to get back with the homies. Told Suge, he gave me his blessings. Said, just handle your business, club. And I left. Told him, you know, the Against the Grain album. You can put it out, don't put it out. I'm not really tripping because I'm not going to support it. It's got negativity all around it. And I'm going to be with the homies. And I just got back with my, my family. And then we moved on from there. But the death row experience of being that executive back there, that taught me a lot about the game. You know, Shug was riding with me 100% with this position. So I felt I was doing something right for my career and where my head was at at the time. So let's let's get into more current times. You just released a Horseman album, but you guys really joined forces probably around the time you're talking. It was, it was early 2000s, or at least from what I 20 recall. Years, 20 years. 20 years. And I and ironically, I interviewed you 20 years ago on my college radio show. Uh, it was during the Lake. It was during the the Lakers versus Sixers finals. So I think that was about 20 years ago. Oh wow! And uh, we, it was it was small world. Small. I mean, I don't expect you to remember. I remember because quick story. I had a guest on, and this was at the time where we didn't have like call waiting. So whoever called in, we would just patch them in, and. Um, we thought it was going to be you. You were at Entra. Shout outs to Hojo and and Todd for setting up that interview. And mm-hmm. we had this this group called Eminon. I don't expect anyone here to know what Eminon is, but you will know who was a part of Eminon when oh, I say. I remember this. Eminon is a, a group that consisted of DJ Exile, which is best known for his work with Blue, Below the Heavens, and a lot of other joints, and uh, a then rapper named Aloe Black. Well, most of these cats just can't kick it We're next to godly son, that's the ticket I'm looking for a nice rich white fence to pick it I'm looking for a nice round fat booty to stick it These cats can't do what we do See, we figured how to make this shit profitable If you act a fool and you sound like a stool Then for sure we're gonna have to take that ass to school So we didn't know who they were We were doing a favor, obviously a lot of people do that uh, As far as interviews go But we were so geeked that you were gonna call That when they had called in, we were like, yo, up they're like nah nah it's eminon so <laughs> we had um 
an interesting uh, interview with them, needless to say. And then you had called in. And like I said, that was 20 years ago. So 20 years, you guys have been rocking you, Cannabis, uh, Killer Priest, and Rascass. Uh, you started the Horseman. And that's got to be really difficult because one, you got four different, really, really different personalities. I'd probably say you and Rasp maybe align the, the most, but we know this is really, really eccentric. And, um, you know, and, and Killer Priest is his own man. So that's got to be really tough. But it took you two decades to officially, because I know you guys released, released collaborations here and there. There was some bootleg stuff, but officially released an album. Um, yes, so what the fuck? Why did it take so long? Well, you know, like you said, the bootlegging, every time people would uh, put our albums, put our records out prematurely, mm-hmm. we'd have to start again. You know, back then we were firm into the new and fresh music type of shit. I don't even think mixtapes was cracking back then. Uh, but we was about, you know, every time they were released, we considered that, that dumb songs are dead. So I have to start over again. And then we all had our own separate solo careers and group careers, you know, priests from root. So having to satisfy all of those things, Priest had to do root and he had to do his own solo shit and his own group, Sons of Man. Mm-hmm. Cannabis was doing his thing with the Lost Boys, doing shit with Fuji's and doing shit with different people in his solo career. Raz had his solo career. And he was fucking with the licks and exhibit and all of that over there. And then I had mods. So we, when we was not doing those things, we would come together, have fun, get on the mic and work on the album. And they kept getting leaked. So that was the real big delay. You've always appealed to the East Coast, even though you know you're a West Coast artist. You you've made records with Gangstar. You were on True Master with uh, with Inspector Deck and, and That's Pete the Rock. One. You know, um, so I I want to ask two questions. One, what's it like working with with DJ Premier, who who in your eyes can't be the goat because of Dre, which I totally get, but he's got to be like number two or three, at least on your list of the greatest uh, producers ever. Totally. So two different styles, great in their own lane. Premier is definitely a goat. Dr. Dre's a goat. Dr. Dre is the one who conditioned me to be able to work with any genre of music, any producers. That's how Dr. Dre is. Dr. Dre can work with any genre of music, produce any kind of record. So with Premier, you gotta understand that that's that hit my roots. That brought out the feeling. You know what I'm saying? Premier makes those beats that brings out the MC, which I'm conditioned in because my Philadelphia history, my two five life. So, you know. That was classic. That was like getting on the mic with Chris. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That was epic because Premier is Premier for Christ's sake. Same with Pete Rock. You know what I'm saying? I grew up to these gentlemen. Yeah. So to rock with the big homies like that, be respected, and to be on a record with Google, rest in peace. I mean, it's, it's historical. And that's the way, you know, I felt when I 
what the best MC out of them because they step your bars up, they step your, your everything up. Because you can't be on a premiere record and come in correct. So it was an accomplishment for me. Everybody ain't get the rock to Google. Everybody ain't get the opportunity to be on a premiere record. You gotta make it being a West Coast artist to be on producers of this caliber from the East. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and to be on their type of shit. You know, you get Snoop on a record, you make like a West Coast type of record. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I want Snoop on this. Unlike Swiss Beats, who put Snoop on Monsters. You know what I'm saying? DJ Cali, who put Snoop on Monsters. Like, uh, all I do is win. That's not West Coast. But he broadened Snoop's horizon by doing that. And then, you know, like Swiss, he has Snoop on the Rough Rider and the that one record where all of them was busting on there. That was a monster. So with DJ Premier to be on that type of shit right there was an accomplishment. And with Pete, it was an accomplishment because they put me on that East Coast hip hop shit. And that mean that made me feel like I was accepted amongst the East Coast as an MC. So that that was special. And rapping with Inspector Deck, I don't know if you knew Deck was going to be on the track. Deck, like, oh. but he, yeah, we like, did it. We did it all together. So, so yeah. he's the guy who had to make you step up your game too, because Deck you is damn skip me. You understand me? Deck is so good on feature tracks. So here, here's my question, which you probably get, but I want to hear it out of your mouth. Um, why was he left off? Got my mind made up then. Um. That was originally for dog food. And the beat stopped and that kept rapping. So he still spit a 16. The beat stopped and he still spit 16. So when Daz lost it in the vault and it didn't go on dog food, Tupac came home. And then, you know, Tupac came home in 95. We was at our peak with New York, New York. And when Pac came home, everything stopped. So that's what made dog food stop. Tupac came home. And so we all had to, it's a death row, death row formula of making music. When it's somebody's time, everybody concentrates on that one thing. So if you got a hit record that you've been working on for your album, your album's on pause, it's not next. You give that hit record to whoever's next. And that's what made our album so bomb is because it was built upon hit records, hit records after hit records that wasn't always for that project. See what I'm saying? So you're getting the best off of this project, the best off of this project, the best off of this project, all going towards your project that you wouldn't normally make for your shit. And that's why our albums were so diverse with so many different styles and flavors on one album. So... It was a collaboratory thing. So when we gave it to Tupac, but his album, he loved it from the door. But Tupac wasn't in the, you know, the busting over without the beat. You know, that's a hip-hop thing. The mm -hmm. acapella, because we value that lyric, them lyrics, you know what I'm saying? If he busting it, oh, man, we don't need the beat there. Just let it be, let it be. That's, that's the love of hip-hop. Tupac wasn't knowing that at the time. He was like, fuck all that. That's that coast shit. No, take that shit off. Keep everything else. He laid his verse. 
kept everything else. But then Daz and me was like, damn, Dex sounded so hard on it. So Daz pulled a twist and kept his backgrounds on him. And Tupac ain't know the CD, he didn't give a fuck. But he wanted it all off. But the beat stopped. There's no reason for him to be rapping. Take that shit off me. That's that East Coast shit. <laughs> Great. Dad was like, man, it's too tight. And they just kept the, those, those uh, backgrounds. Yeah. What he said was uh, INS the Rebel, murderous minds, smash minds, states the pebbles. Mental terrorists, specialists at this, menacing lyricists, sleep crews defenseless. <laughs> Crazy. And he man. kept on going. Yeah. Like, man. damn, you hear what he said, my nigga? So that's mm-hmm. why he just kept this, 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 sis, this. <laughs> that, that's what he, that's what the bars was, though. Nobody really don't know what he was saying in between. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Well, I still got Mariah. That shit was so wicked. I was like, oh my. God, everybody came clean on there. Originally, it was rage on there with us, but she, when we did bring it out, she said take her verse off because she used it on necessary roughness. She used it on her solo album, the verse, and that was perfect. Because Tupac was like, "Oh, don't worry about it. I'm doing that verse. I'm, I'm a feeling that game. That's all he had to do. Everything else was already there. So that's why Deck wasn't on there. Pop didn't want." Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, you know, they released eventually the the original because uh, they did. I've never heard. I'll oh, send it to you. I have. Uh, yeah, we you played it on. Damn hippie, man, send me this shit, man. This bullshit. Of course, I'll send it to you. We played. Never heard it. Uh, uh, really? Hell no! Not since the day we made. It. I said, my kid played. My name is the Rebel. Murder was down. Yeah, man. Look, yeah, of course. A lot of epic collaborations. I know uh, Wade wants to get into DJ Quick, who who I think is arguably one of the greatest rapper producers, maybe the best rapper producer, if you will, if you want to go that label. Um, Go ahead, Wade. I'm a yeah. No. um, So 2009, you got together with Quick, and and you guys released Blackout. Tell us how that came about, man. It kind of, uh, I know when the album came out, I, I kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. I'm sure you guys, I know you guys knew each other from way back, uh, but how'd you come together? And, you know, it was a good short album. It was solid. Um, tell us how it came together, how you guys came together. Just, you know, just being friends. I call him Oak Quick because he's been in the game longer than I have. Yeah. Like my aunt. <laughs> and he always loved Corrupt. And showed me support and love. So we just in the studio working, just making music. And then, you know, Quick was just like, man, let's do an album. We was clowning. I was like, hell yeah, let's, you know, fuck it. Let's go. And 
we just started doing it. Wasn't even serious at first. And then we just started doing it. Cook said, be at the studio this time. I came and we never stopped. Bang, 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 bang. And then it was like it became serious overnight. Because we was just mm-hmm. joking and clowning. You know, we're going to do an album together. Yeah, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Let's do it. And we just started working on music. And then DJ Quick turned it serious and started making schedules and shit. Yeah, man. We're going to work this week. Who wop the wop the win. The next week, we're going to work who wop the wop the win. And I was like, oh, okay, well, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Let's go. And it came out great. You know what I'm saying? Came out he's a lab rat too right i mean he stays oh, in the totally. studio and he's a stickler like dr yeah. Dre. Yeah. tell tell me about the joint you did with hammer of all people sleeping on a master plan i know this didn't come out on death row but maybe you he recorded it while he was signed to death row or or explain to, to the listener this collaboration in general should have brought him to us it was just you on that track so no Daz did the beat Daz did the beat Right, you know what I'm saying? Hammer was working on a project. Should came to us, man. Hammer working on a woobop. Get you some cheese and woobop the wham. Okay, cool. So, you know, Daz did the beat. The rest was history. Me and Hammer flew out with it. I wrote his lyrics. Ah. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? That's how that came about. Should brought that to the table. You you know, Hammer always kind of, you know, uh, gets a bad rap sometimes, but he's, and I know you know this, he's probably considered one of the most respected slash feared dudes. Royalty. And all the hip hop. Like you don't cross Hammer. Like he, he'll, he'll kill you with a smile. He might be the nicest dude in the world. You know what I'm saying? But he had influence, juice. Damn right. He employed a lot of people. He was a businessman and he had fun. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that was him. He had fun doing it. He liked to dance and that's what he did. You know, hip hop was based off of dancing and having a good time. You know what I'm saying? Hardcore hip hop, East Coast, was based on rocking the crowd. You heard what Rakim said MC means move the crowds. So it's always been a part of you. I'm so hammered. You know, he liked to dance and he like to have fun. And that's the type of records he made, the type of videos he made, the type of shows he brought on. He believed in them big, full production shows and all that type of shit. 30,000 dancers and shit and entertaining. And that's what he brought to the table, you know what I mean? And that enhanced hip-hop a lot because it brought a, it was a part of multi-million sellers. Mm-hmm. With that multi-million dollar shit up in that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? All of those different things of hip-hop. Hardcore hip-hop might not like it. Gangster rap might not like it. The South might not like it. But each different person that's successful is successful in the name of hip-hop. This is why hip-hop is the number it's got, it's, it's the number one over rock and roll, country and western alternative. Hip hop is number one because it's in every one of those things. And those things aren't in all hip hop, but hip hop is in all of those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we went from just being on the block, it just being in New York and just being a hobby to being one of the number one uh, 
things in music there is hip hop. We got our footprints in time of music and uh, opened up so many doors for people. You know, now people making records at young ages, they've been doing it. Crisscross, you know what I'm saying? ABC was singing, but that was hip hop. You know what I'm saying? BBD was singing, but that was hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's the whole key to the game. Boys to Men, that was singing, but they was hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man, Hammer definitely has to be respected for what he put to the table. Shit, Vanilla Ice has to be respected for what he put to the table. Right, well, now, now you're going a little far. Now you're now. I mean, he sold millions. <laughs> he sold millions of records in the name of hip hop. That is anybody that is. is selling millions of records. Everyone's in the got name their place. Hip hop. Everyone's got. You got to give them. You got to. You know. You. You ain't saying he's the best rapper. You ain't saying he's the best MC. You ain't saying he's the best at all. But what you got to give him credit for is how he elevated record sales in the name of hip hop. He introduced the white generations to hip hop. He introduced. You know what I'm saying? And he employed. He employed the the uh, urban community. Because and, the nigga, yeah, the nigga who made Ice Ice Baby. He's and, black. And indi- indirectly may have helped start Death Row Records. Indirectly. Indirectly. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna go all day with uh, with 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 Dre questions only because there's just so much so much mystique behind the guy. I don't think he does enough interviews to really understand enough about him. So I think listeners all want to know. I look, you made some of your best music with Dre, and it, I just want to know: Are you are you going to be on the forthcoming album? We've we've seen everyone talking like Diamond D, Exhibit. Everyone's on social posting pictures with him. Just want to get an outsider's glance about this particular project he's he's about to do and just the overall vibe. Are you are you a part of this? What project is that? It, well, this is kind of the new project that he's supposedly working on. I mean, you see this push with him posing in pictures with everybody. So you have to think something's kind of bubbling. You never know with Dr. Dre. You never know. Well, if he wants another explicit or explosive rather verse, he's got to go to you. <laughs> Let me ask you this though: Did Thank you have an opportunity to be on the uh, the next episode? You you kind of started off, but you don't add a verse. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was what Doctor Dre wanted from me. So he another, just, thing, another thing Dr. Dre told me, it's like I told you, you say, fill in the gap, say what you want to say there. Say the right shit you make. Same thing in the next episode, you know, he said, man, corrupt your voices, you keep. And, you know, it demeaned. We ain't even got to rap in this. Do, do, do that corruption. <laughs> so I did. Bam! Being on top of it with them ad libs. And that's what I did on that particular record. Ad libs gave me another lane, taught me another thing. You know, just my ad libs is the money too. Then I went further and got on Janae Ico's record. I wasn't even rapping on there. Janae put Janae in featuring Corrupt. All I did was talk that to you. My voice is the instrument. My voice is the money. I ain't have to rap. So you know, Dr. Dre set that off in the next episode. 
It gave me a whole nother lane. I could be on the record, not even rap. Just my presence, just talking to me, my crap, just being myself is the money. So then from next episode to You Never Call Me, Janae Aiko, of me just being a presence. And it mattered just as much as it was. It seems like he's made you guys all swear to secrecy that nothing's fucking going on right now. But yeah, yeah I right. Like something's on going the, on. on the, like, a lot, you know, <laughs> Dr. Drake's still working on detox. So it's like, what project are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know what? Shit all, he, I mean, he never stops. So what is he working on? Never know. He's been working on detox for centuries. And then he came out with Compton. But he's still yeah. working on detox. Yeah. So anything new that he's working on, ain't no telling. That's, you know, that's that's the key. Ain't no telling. I ain't heard of anything new. All well, I know is detail. But you I never know with Dr. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if you showed up. At least um it would be very fitting to to see you back on a Dre album. And what's fitting is this new album, The Last Ride. Oh, I I'm gonna be on it. I'm oh. gonna be you motherfucker, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Kip, I'm gonna make it. Now, Dre always gonna give you the chance, but you gotta make it. Yeah, Dre man. Shit, you in there? He'll give he'll give you the chance though. And he gives me the chance. I'm, I dropped the ball a couple of times. Dr. Dre gave me a chance, and I just wasn't feeling it. Wasn't in the right mood or mode, you know, and didn't make that particular song. But when Dr. Dre give me that right record, he always does. Oh, I'm gonna make it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, let's talk about the newest record before we head <coughs> out of here. The last ride. So this is something that's been in the making for over two decades. We finally get to hear you, Razzy Kazzy, Killer Priest, and and Biss. My purpose is getting paid in pieces by a nigga. I'm mobbing through a line. You better get brain, nigga. You try to catch me and end up catching body shots, nigga. I'm pivotal with the pistol squad and got him mop, niggas. My nigga Niggas won't hesitate to follow the eagles in sleepy hollows. Spin niggas and make them wobble. Hair hunting, bullets ricochet and double doses. My bitches like Ashanti and your bitches like Rasputin. One second of terror, a milligram of fire. Squeeze the breath out of a nigga like some nooses and some wires. Squeeze the death out of a nigga like a tourniquet and pliers. The caves, the nickels, I'm the neighborhood supplier. Everything the homies want and need, I supply them. Nigga, that's Scotty. Don't even try them. You got a lot of features, man. I'm looking uh, Chino XL. You got Planet Asia. You got Tragedy Gaddafi. You know, you got, um, you got a lot of folks. But that was classic in itself, right there, because you know, tragedy was one of the ringleaders for LA. Of course, he he was he was the mentor provoked Capone and Noriega. So and I had crews with with uh with everybody on there. I've done records with everybody on LA. Me and Prodigy, we had a group called Rifleman, J.O. Felony. Yeah. Produced by Havoc. <clears throat> you know what I mean? <clears throat> so I had things with Havoc with Mob Deep. And then Nori, we could freak it out. And then we got other records. And then Daz did a group with Capone. And we did a record on there, their first single, which is DPG CNN. You got Daz, Capone, Nori, and Corrupt. And then now, 
Raz brought to the table, Tragedy Kadak. So Intelligent Hoodlum. Intelligent Hoodlum. Let me, a quick segue, because you, you talked about how you guys kind of come full circle. You, you know, you had your, your, your dust up with some of these people. Now you're working with them. I got to ask you on, on, I believe the track's called NY87. And I don't know what album it's off of, but I know it was you and Threat. And you shit on a tribe called Quest. Right? <laughs> what the fuck? Good old tribe called Quest never hurt nobody. How did you take a shot at a tribe called Quest? What was the reason for that? Not everybody that took a shot at sometime or another says something about something. I heard the meth nines is red, and I'm down with him. Right. Indeed, we all smoke weed and clown with him. Hung around with him, one man. I ran with his clan, there's only one land. Niggas down with me, I can count on one hand. Come dumb, I guess dumber. The double barrel pumper, heat dumper. And I've been rocking mics since Funky Drummer. These inventions wreak havoc, speak lavish lifestyles. I crack your clavicle for the cabbage. Rhyme savage, introduction to death. Murder of seeds, there ain't shit left in the sector. Why must MCs flip? Like Gymnastics just to get their whole ass with claim to be classic, but you don't set no classic examples with your fucked up beats and your fucked up samples. Whether it was the coast or us or whatever it was, Channel Live said something before that reached our antennas. Tribe called Quest reached our antennas. You know what I'm saying? And I responded to it all in NY87. You know. I explain Biggie's participation in New York, New York. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I explain, I mean, I, I address Channel Live. I address Tribe Called Quest. j Rule, Definitely. So, you know, I addressed everybody who had something to say that hit our antennas. And you know, that was about it. You know what I'm saying? Tribe said some what Q-tip did, and uh, no one of my very good friends, rest in peace, was Fife. You know what I'm saying? At that time, we was all on fire, so I responded to it. Yeah. Well, that record, what was that made for? What album? We just made it, you know, after uh, Pop. It was around the Machiavelli time. So it's just a Lucy from like '96. Easy, okay. Easy, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't made for no album or nothing. We just made it in response to everything that was going on. Said, you know what? Let's just address everything. You know what I'm saying? And threat joining the ride. We was all pushing the line for the West Coast. Mm. And yep, it never reached the light of day on an album or anything. You know, by the time it was for it to be a part of something, it was pretty much over it all. Yeah. Tupac died. It became irrelevant. Well, I'm glad you guys are making music again. I'm glad there is no bullshit East Coast, West Coast media driven. And and I'm glad from from a hip hop standpoint, you finally got to release uh, The Last Ride. I know so many horsemen fans out there have been waiting for this. I mean, when you have lyricists like, you know, this and, and Raskas and Priest and yourself, 
it's it's a super group in itself and and it's not common i mean it's common in sports but it's not common in in hip-hop it's talked about a lot of the times but it rarely rarely comes to fruition you know right right uh and, and this did so it's cool that despite the years that it took it it finally did happen you have a killer lineup on there i mean it's it's something that i think everyone wants to check out but more importantly the fact that you're still making music because it's easy to sail into that sunset after putting in decades and decades of work uh, right. but you're, you're still still doing your thing and and look you're reaping the benefits you got fucking streets named after you now i mean what, what's the next thing you're gonna do i'm gonna keep on going Keep on, you're, gonna be, you're gonna be in the Dre album. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, goddamn Skippy. I'm gonna make we like the locks. I'm gonna make it. We gonna make it, man. Did you watch the the, the versus battle the other day? Man, we wanna see Kiss. We wanna get kissed goodbye, man. Leave that man alone, cause <laughs> <laughs> Do you think do you think anyone can kid can go toe to toe with Kiss right now? When could they ever? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, K- Kiss is. He's just getting his now. That is definitely true. That, that was like uh, hitting a three pointer to go to the Final Four, right? Right. Jade has always been a problem. You know, you don't. <clears throat> you know, you do this music. And you don't get recognized all the time. I mean, that's cool, but that's the purpose of just sticking to it, man. You got to stick to it. We make records. We do hip-hop because we love it, because it's just so, it's just uh, the perk of it is we get paid. And I tell all my youngsters and my pupils that, look, man, we get paid to have fun because rocking the mic is fun. Because I know for a fact I'll be doing this shit whether I got paid or not. You know what I'm saying? And Jade is one of those MCs. It's just something he's going to do for the rest of his motherfucking life, whether he get paid or not. He's going to always rock around. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? So it's good that people are seeing that now. Unfortunate that he had to lay bodies on the ground in order for it to happen. But that's what hip-hop is. You know, you battle, and that's when you get seen. You know what I'm saying? Out of all my great attributes to the game, New York, New York, and the death row and ruthless war, these were keys to my entire career and being seen and being noticed more. Then I got to the point where I could be a star and enjoy myself with the with the stardom part of things and just make hit records and do that. But even myself, it was war that got me noticed. And Jada, he's been making hit records. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's been recognized, but you know, now he's been—he's getting those flowers he deserved. He had to earn it. Hmm. Dipset ain't easy, man. I mean, Jewels is a beast. Just a different caliber of MCs, if you ask, in my opinion. Uh, he's a beast. You know what I'm saying? Cameron's a beast. Sure, don't play with Cam, cuz you know what I'm saying. You know, so that ain't easy to get them props. Jada came with raw, unadulterated, pure hip hop, and it just goes to show you the power of hip hop, cuz you know what I'm saying. It's still powerful. Everybody off of hip hop, 
you know, certain people that stay in that hip hop, they can do both. They can do the hard, the real, the hardcore, real hip hop. They can also make these secular records. You know what I'm saying? But Jada Show is real hardcore hip hop roots, and you see people notice it. But throughout his career, you listen to any of his records, his rhymes is impeccable. Well, let's talk about the power of Philly when we head out of here. So when I think Philly, I'm thinking Will Smith. I'm thinking Schooly D. I'm thinking Black Thought, Beanie Siegel, Freeway, and Corrupt Young Gotti. So, I mean, if there's that map of Philadelphia's hierarchy of lyricists, you're right there, man. And, and I know you represent the West, but as a Philly boy, and I think I speak for many, many people, especially on the East Coast, not just Philly, uh, we we view highly of you as a Philly lyricist, the same way we view Kobe as a Philly Philly athlete, Philly born and raised. You, you know, you better believe it. He's the Illadel. Hello, yeah, man. What's my motherfucking name? Flamethrower. I throw flames. Lay niggas down all the time. I'm the one to blame. When you see the earth shake and quake, it's probably me. One of the liveest MCs they'll ever be. I lock it down all the time. Drop rounds. I pop rounds. Knock niggas up and down until there's nobody around. Next time you see me coming, everybody start running. That's the best thing to do before I start popping and gunning. They call me Gotti for a reason. It's body season. Where I start bodying bodies everywhere. Nobody's leaving. The first thing I learned as an MC is how to just torture MCs, break them down to their knees, pick them back up so they can walk a billion degrees. I hit these niggas all the time. The big dog, they fleas. Like, nigga, please tell your bitch to eat these. Stop it. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Mm. Right? Hey, thank you so much, man. I, again, I appreciate the time. Yeah. Give us a lot of time. I didn't think it would go this overtime, but you know what? It says a lot about uh, the the interview and the the uh, connection we have. So I appreciate it. Every um, time. Every time. Like, we only fuck with the top tier MCs. And like I mentioned before, we, we have some of the best on here. And it was important that we had you, uh, especially now that, you know, you, you're putting out music again. And uh, I'm glad we connected, man. I, I appreciate Thank the time. Thank you very much. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah. All right, bro. Appreciate it, man. Peace. All right, I'm going to send y'all to Wubop. Good luck. All right, be good. good. Peace. Yeah, check this out. This corrupt, doing it big, Kevlar. You dig what I'm talking about? A.A. Ron, my nigga. You dig? 360 in the building, fill of flavor. We pushing this line heavy in the stand room. That T.I.P. shit, we go from the tip top and make it drop. You dig what I'm saying? Take it personal. We push that line. You either love us or you leave us alone. Most people want to take it personal. Take it personal radio in the building where we hit y'all with this real subject matter. Talk about real hip hop. Let's get it, gentlemen.